Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Brian Beats, Director of Regulatory Affairs and Corporate Responsibility at Labelmaster, about the regulatory landscape for shipping hazardous materials. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Brian Beats, Director of Regulatory Affairs and Corporate Responsibility at Labelmaster. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Jay. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. And uh, before we start talking about uh, shipping uh, hazardous materials, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and Labelmaster. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm uh, currently Director of Regulatory Affairs and Corporate Responsibility for Label Master, based in Chicago, Illinois, and I've been with Label Master for a little over seven years. And, and prior to that, um, I worked in the environmental consulting industry for almost 20 years. So at, at Label Master, we we pride ourselves uh, on being a complete dangerous goods compliance company. Label Master's been in business for over 50 years now, and we've been evolved and expanded significantly since the mid-60s when the company first started. Uh, Labelmaster started out initially just manufacturing the labels and placards required transportation when, when shipping hazardous materials, but over the years we've continuously evolved and expanded and, and now uh, offer a, a comprehensive assortment of services, products, and, and even software to meet needs of companies shipping hazardous materials, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. All right, so I was wondering if you could tell me, how has the landscape for shipping hazardous materials evolved over the years? Certainly, uh, the, the transport regulations have changed significantly over even just the past 10 years, and, and also how we access and, and stay on top of regulatory changes and requirements. So as commodities change to adapt to consumer demands, the chemicals and products being shipped that are subject to the hazardous materials transport regulations change constantly, of course. Um, and, and one commodity that's a great example of that would be lithium batteries and, and specifically lithium ion batteries and uh, the products that are powered by them. Mm. Lithium ion batteries, they were first introduced uh, in the marketplace primarily consumer electronics with things we continue to use every day, like cell phones and laptops. Right. And um, of course, you know, been integrated into portable power tools, scooters, e-bikes, and now, um, you know, even electric vehicles, um, of course. So technology and consumer demand significantly dr drive the changes that we see in the regulations. Um, and technology has also changed the, uh, training options and, and how um, we access the regulatory information. Um, we can do just about everything now via remote, via the internet, internet, and that's certainly become even more commonplace uh, due, um, you know, within the last few years due to the pandemic and the significant amount of the workforce that even continues to work remote today. So it's, um, it's constantly evolving and and and, uh, um, and I'd say you know, especially with within the last couple of years because of uh, the changes in the workforce. Um, so, how can organizations meet all those different regulations for you know shipping by say country, transportation mode, item type, 
you know, how are they, how, I guess, what's the best way for them to kind of keep track of all that stuff and, and make sure that they meet those? So one of the best ways is to ensure that your employees are properly trained and also have the resources they need to properly perform job duties. So you mentioned some of those when you're talking doing business uh, globally, you know, you've got regulations that uh, for the most part are semi-harmonized to f facilitate global trade, but, uh, you know, there's different nuances and different requirements that vary depending on the different modes of transportation that can be pretty tricky. So um, need to be trained, stay on top of those changes and also have the um, resources like uh, the publications of each of those regulations to um, um, stay in compliance. And then I'm a strong advocate of continuing education and continuous learning. And um, that's really what's critical when it comes to meeting regulations for shipping hazardous materials or um, dangerous goods as they're referred to internationally. You'll hear for the most part in the U.S. You hear the term hazardous materials internationally. Um, they're referred to as dangerous goods. Okay. Uh, Although um, often the regulatory changes um, happen relatively slow, they are constantly changing, and you must stay on top of you know learning what those changes are so that you can adapt and ensure that you're staying in compliance. And um, another way to help ensure that you're staying on top of of uh, meeting those regulations is to stay connected to strong partner. Um, you know, people, uh, industry, um, organizations in the industry that are, um, you know, let, let someone else who's constantly connected to the industry and who's staying up to date with all those changes help you. And there's numerous ways to do that, subscribing to blogs, utilizing social media, and even, you know, joining and participating in, in some of the industry groups and associations that specialize specifically in uh, hazardous materials transportation. Um. Who sets the regulations? What are the uh, the governing bodies that did do that? So it, you have the uh, United Nations um, is is where the uh, the you know the regulations initiate, mm -hmm. and um, and then they they filter down through the different um, modal bodies. So um, you have the the model regulations, um, as they're referred to at the at the UN, and then get adopted into the different uh, transport modes, like the um, International Civil Aviation Organization or ICAO um, would be the, for air transport, International Maritime Organization um, for ocean transport, and and even you know. Country specific, like the United States, it's the um, Department of Transportation, Line Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, or FIMSA, um, and they um, implement those regulations into um, uh, 49 CFR, which is the specific title of the Code of Federal, Federal Regulations where the um, hazmat regs are, are found in the US. So there's a lot to keep, keep track of. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's, um, like I said, you know, for the most part to facilitate international trade, the regulations are harmonized fairly well, but you have, you have some countries, um, you know, especially in South America where it can be, um, you know, where there's significant delays and, you know, in different changes or, or different, um, requirements because they're delayed in, in harmonizing. Um, so it, it can be, um, it, you know, it can be quite tricky when you're, when you're shipping internationally, depending on, you know, where your, your commodities are originating and, and traveling through. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can investment ensure that, you know, the dangerous goods supply chain remains smooth? <laughs> So investing time, resources into your dangerous goods program is is absolutely critical to keeping supply chain running smooth. Um, ensure that your employees are properly trained and have the products and resources they need in order to safely and compliantly perform job duties. If a shipment's prepared incorrectly and it gets rejected, say by a carrier, stopped by an inspector because they notice compliance issue, shipments become frustrated and then there's a whole cascade of negative impacts to your business and um, certainly the first group impacted is is your customer if the shipper if the shipments rejected or stalled due to compliance issues they're not receiving the commodity they're waiting for that negatively impacts them and in turn you know you might even lose the business in the future and also, with enough repeated issues, you could also end up with a with a carrier who ultimately refused to accept your future shipments. You know, they're not going to give you endless chances to um, get it right. And then there's also the citations and fines that can be imposed by the inspectors that uh, add up real fast when you're talking, you know, it's thousands, even tens of thousands of dollars per occurrence that, uh, you know, you can be slapped with so invest in your employees invest in the training and resources they need to properly do their job to ensure that there's no disruptions in the, the supply chain and you know sometimes that's viewed as a huge financial investment that not everybody in your organization might think is needed but mm-hmm. when you consider the negative financial impacts that can result uh from the supply chain disruptions and regulatory fines and whatnot it uh, it makes sense that it's money well spent. And what kind of infrastructure should you have in place, uh, you know, to be able to do this well? Um, now you mean as far as uh, like infrastructure within your organization or? Yes, yeah. You know, I would say, uh, Certainly, um, training and, and education across all platforms up into the um, to the, the C-suite, so that they um, you know understand what's what's needed, and um, you know really just a lot of planning and and and, and preparation, and um, you know it. It continues to come back to uh, to training and and and, and setting up 
um, of being notified when, you know, training requirements are due for all of your um, employees and um, um, you really need to set up a team of people, uh, you know, a DG compliance group within your organization to ensure that you know, all those pieces fall into place and everything, you know, um, uh, happens as the way it should so that you stay in compliance. Uh, speaking of training, what kinds of training tools can help companies with their uh, regulatory compliance? So there's a, uh, actually a tremendous amount of training resources available to the public for free uh, that's offered by the different uh, government agencies. Um, agencies like DOT FEMSA have done a great job, especially over the past few years with public outreach and education making information guides and FAQs available on the internet. And um, next recommendation I can make is, is take advantage of uh, online training programs. There's tons of companies that offer them now. Label Master has an extensive suite of, of training modules that we offer. It's too many companies. Um, we've also recently introduced some 3D integration to our online training that's uh, pretty cool. And um, also subscribe to regulatory blogs, stay active in the industry, uh, either by joining, you know, trade associations, attending meetings and conferences. Um, fortunately, there's no one perfect resource, uh, a training tool to maintaining regulatory compliance, but certainly using technology to your advantage and, and, con and connecting with trusted and reliable companies that have a long and successful track at record in the industry. Um, so what are some of the top regulatory compliance pitfalls that companies uh, fall into when they're shipping hazmat? I would say one of the biggest compliance pitfalls um, companies fall into is a lack of training um, and, and lack of continuous and recurrent training. If you, if you ask any DOT inspector, or enforcement officer, what the number one issue they find when they do an inspection or audit, they're gonna tell you it's training. Um, the 49 CFR um, requires that anybody that's considered a hazmat employee must receive training, and I'll spare everyone the full legal definition of um, being a hazmat employee, but it basically means part of your job duties have any impact on hazardous material safety, you're a hazmat employee and, and thus subject to training requirements. That includes things like general awareness and familiarization, function-specific training directly related to the, to the work the employee is performing, safety training, and also um, security awareness. And here in the US, 49 CFR requires initial training and then recurrent training, a minimum of every three years. Internationally, most of the modal regulations require recurrent training every two years. There's an important requirement that changes those timeframes drastically, and that's if the function-specific requirements of your job duties change, you're required to receive updated training immediately. So those 
those time frames go out the window if um, if the job duties change. Right. All of a sudden, you know, to, it starts back to square one, and and you got to have updated training. Uh, I imagine too, like if somebody you know leaves the company or gets a different position. You know, then you've got that challenge of retraining or, or training from scratch, whoever comes to the position. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that is a very big problem in the industry right now because of high turnover um, in, the, in, in the workforce. And, you know, there's because of that, there's there's some, you know, companies that are reluctant to spend the money on training or, you know, they look for, you know, ways to minimize the amount of money that they're spending on training. And unfortunately, um, you know, as the old saying goes, you oftentimes you get what you pay for. Right. right. Uh, um, so if you, you know, if you, if you aren't willing to spend money, um, keep up with that and and get the right training for your employees you know it's 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 gonna it's gonna bite you in the end you know it's there's gonna be an impact there um have there been any shifts in terms of uh regular regulators in terms of getting stricter uh you know with making sure companies comply uh in recent years have you seen any trends kind of in that direction Well, it, it's um, there's certainly, you know, more attention or emphasis gets put on certain commodities that are, you know, if there's uh, particular issues, um, you know, like I mentioned, lithium batteries, you know, that technology is changing so rapidly and, and um Battery chemistries are are changing. Manufacturers are trying to, um, you know, build bigger and and better uh, batteries that are more energy dense that uh, can charge quicker. Well, ultimately, when that technology changes, there can also be significant changes to the the hazards um, that. So uh, it's a the constant struggle for the regulators to to keep up with that because technology changes significantly faster than um, other regulators can keep up, and uh, especially when you're talking, you know, the international regulations at the at the UN level, um, just because of the the complexity of of everything and the different channels that it has to go through to become. A regulation change, you know, things that they're evaluating even today might not become a change for two years, you know, on the road, unless it's unless it's something where there's a a, a really significant safety concern that that happened. Then, you know, unfortunately, that's what drives um, regulatory changes to mm -hmm. you know adapt to that if there's um, significant danger associated with, um, you know, public and the environment because of new commodity or, or, or something and, you know, change can, can happen much quicker. 
Um, what kind of impact did the pandemic have on uh, shipping dangerous goods? Uh, I mean, I, it's pretty well documented that, you know, the supply chain slowed down in a big way for, you know, most goods. Is it also a similar impact on, uh, on dangerous goods? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like we mentioned, the, the, the problems with the, um, the workforce and, and people uh, shifting and changing jobs, um, you know, that's, that's had a significant impact because, um, you know, people, you know, when, when the workforce is um, impacted like that, people leave now, you know, maybe you don't have as many people in your organization. Mm -hmm. Doing the the dangerous goods shipping, um, or the lead person left, and and now you're um, struggling to uh, you know retrain or, or further train existing folks or, or train new people that uh, come in. So it had an impact, I think, also certainly because of. Um, the force the, for people to work remote because of mm -hmm. the, the the impact, you know, that changed the way people communicated, you know, the way that they could get their training, you know. So uh, people that were normally relying on classroom training or attending events and, and networking with, with folks to stay on top of those changes we're not forced to adapt to staying you know connected to social media and shifting to online training options um, because they weren't able to do those things physically in person like they were before uh, would you say that things have kind of returned back to normal or is it still kind of a work in progress i definitely think it's it's a, a continuous work in progress it's it's much more um well i guess i would call it more of a new norm um mm. it's still constantly changing and uh, you had you know you've had you have some companies who are uh who are, who are shifting back maybe they had some employees that were working remote temporarily um and now they've brought those fo those folks back mm -hmm. physically into the the building um some organizations that are allowing a a hybrid schedule where they're you know they're in some days but working remote um others so other days so it, it it's it's constantly changing um i don't think it'll it'll ever be um uh you know the way that it was and and businesses are being kind of forced to to change how they how they operate just because of um competition in, in workforce so right uh, not every organization is able to to not allow some for you know form of hybrid um remote working schedule with their with their employees and, are, you know, these kinds of jobs, I mean, do they differ 
remote from in person? Like, do you, you know, do you really need to be in person to do this job properly or like, is it, does it, has it been kind of a, a seamless transition to just go hybrid? <laughs> well, certainly uh, folks that you have on, on the front line who are, who are physically preparing, right. you know, the dangerous goods shipments, um, you know, they, they've got to be there in person. They've got to, you know, physically pick out the correct packaging, apply all the, the marks and labels to the, to the packaging and, and then, uh, you know, fill out all the required paperwork that's involved with those, um, shipments. And a little to, you know, to a certain extent that's changing a little bit. We're seeing, um, you know, regulators evaluate the possibility of um, allowing electronic shipping papers mm -hmm. uh, in the industry where, you know, it's just primarily been um, a paper allowed. Um, so, um you know, kind of a, a a mix. I'd say you know those 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 frontline workers are you know they've got to be physically there, right. but you know, um, maybe they're working you know remote on on the days when when they don't physically have to be there to, mm -hmm. to do those um, job duties, and then of course interacting with um, you know their upper management. Um, you know, some of those some of those folks may or may not be physically um, in the building. So you've had that dynamic where, um, you know, even if they're they never were allowed to work remote and have always been physically in in the building, they've had to change because you know they have to adapt to how they communicate with uh, other folks in the, in the organization who might not there physically every day yeah sounds like it's an ongoing challenge yeah absolutely um constantly uh evolving and, and changing and um uh you know technology is going to continue to uh drive technology advancements you know are going to continue to drive that uh too Definitely. Well, Brian, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Thank you, Jay. It's been uh, it's been fun. It's been my pleasure, and um, I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. That wraps up episode one thirty nine of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time.